0: All right, so I'm going to pre-warn you. This morning, I'm probably going to get in everyone's grill. So I'm going to pray that the Spirit would have you softened so that when I get there, you don't run me over. So Jesus, I pray that your Spirit would help us. Lord, the things you've been showing me about me and the things that you put on my heart for us this morning that I hope help us, God. And I know that there's some application that gets into the weeds a little bit of our lives and could stir things up in a way that would make us uncomfortable And so I pray, Spirit, that you would be at work in our hearts. You know exactly what you want to show each one of us, and you know exactly what we need in order to continue our journey with you. And so whatever that is, Lord, do that, I pray, that we would all leave here today, with a clear idea of ways that we can come to you for everything we need. We believe that you are everything we need, and yet we don't believe it. And so help us to believe more today. Increase our believing that every craving of our heart can be found in you. And use this little time together, I pray, um, to make that happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we've been talking about our mission as a church last week. Thank you, Jordan. Last week we talked about our uh, go mission. Prior to that, we had two weeks. We talked about growing, what it means for us to keep pursuing growth as believers. And the last week I said we, we went to go. We're going to go back now to grow this week, and we're going to go back and look at our scripture memory together from Isaiah 55. So if you want to get your Bibles out, you can turn to Isaiah 55 together. What I wanted just to begin with is saying this. I find this encouraging, and I hope you do too, that as you, and I hope you are, on a mission to grow and help others grow, that you know that God is also on a mission to help you grow and that he is more committed to you growing than you're committed to you growing. And that's really good news because I want to be set free from sin more and more, but he wants me to be set free from sin even more than I do. And so I'm banking on that, that as I do my part, he's tripling that. He's doing his work way stronger and faster than I am. So he is committed. And I think what he's committed to very often is simply showing off how great he is so that I'll see that he has everything my soul craves. I mean, that's what he does in scripture, right? It's all about him exalting his glory so that I'll see him for who he is. My heart will be captured. My feelings will be satisfied with him and in his presence. And that's really what Isaiah 55 is all about. It's about us coming into his presence to grow, to experience his power, and his all-satisfying presence. And so we're going to look at the first three verses again, even though I preached them two weeks ago. And the reason is because, as Tyler, Jordan, and I have talked, we know that every week you hear a new sermon, and you hear another sermon, and then we ask you the next week to be working on applying it. And I barely get applying it, and then there's another sermon, and then we're applying another message. So I thought, let's camp in Isaiah 55 a little bit, and really try to get out of it what God wants us to get out of it as a church, which I think to some degree is us just really slowing down. Just slowing down, slowing down our lives, maybe reprioritizing some things, doing some calendar changing, eliminating some of the hurry in our life, so we can really learn what it means to come to God, to have our souls strengthened by grace, and to enjoy him. And so that's what we're going for this morning in Isaiah 55. Last time I preached it, if anybody remembers, you probably don't. I didn't until I looked at my notes. We went through it verse at a time, like how the poem unfolds. This morning we're going to look at it a little more topically. Like what do we, what do we get out of it topically um, as the poem uh, is written? What are, the, what are the themes that come out of it? And so you guys got a little card. That little card is for you just to stick in your Bible, and it's there to help you to basically pull out little themes and to look for things as you're reading. I know some of you already have, you already know how to do this. You know how to do it well. I know others, other, others of us are still growing at learning how to do that. So the questions in that card are meant to help us when you go to God's word and you're, you're reading and you want to encounter his presence. They're just some questions to help you to interact with God's word in a way so you'll get to know him, you'll, you'll get to love him, and then what it means to live for him. So that's kind of what those questions are there to help you with. So I hope that serves you. But what I want to do now is I want to do a little bit of equipping. So what we're going to do is I'm going to get a lot of interaction with you for a couple of minutes, especially you younger children. And then I'm going to preach what we talk about. So this is is a little bit of an equipping time. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the first three verses. And I'm just going to ask you to consider two questions, and then you're going to spend some time on your own or with the people around you, finding the answers to the questions, and then we're going to talk about it. All right? So first, who has it memorized? Anybody want to try it? Lydia, no. Almost there, though. Anybody almost there, but not bold enough to do it in front of everybody? All right. Come on, people. Let's do it. Let's memorize this together. It's really, really good. And it's not that hard. What do you say? Say it out loud 10 times a day for a week, and you'll have it. Doesn't take that long to do it. All right, so I'll embarrass myself <clears throat> and see if I've got it. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come by and eat. Not why. Oh, come by wine and milk without money and without price. Sorry, I just had a brain fart in my head. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. And something about food. And eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Good. Close. Little makes. So do it out loud with people because then you're like, oh, I don't know what comes next. And then they help you a little and then you do it. So keep doing that. Right? Let's work on it together. Let's get this memorized. So here's what I want you to do. In a little group of people around you or by yourself, if you were trapped or born on an island all by yourself... You never had a Bible, never heard about God. All you knew about God was what you saw in creation. You figured somebody created this, it's beautiful, but I don't know who he is. And a bottle washed up on the shore. You pull the cork and Isaiah 55, 1 through 3 is in it. What would it tell you about God? What does Isaiah, what I just tried to quote, <laughs> what does that tell you about God? So i might to take a couple minutes. You can talk to people around you. I want want you to write down what are the things you see in there that you would learn about God. You know nothing about God. You get these three verses in a bottle and you would go, oh, now I know this and this and this and this about this God. What would you find out? So take a minute. I'm actually going to time it. I'm going to give you a minute. I want you to look at it write down. What do you see? All right, you guys got some answers? All right, so let's start with younger peoples in the room. Are there any younger people who have some answers? You've read these verses. What does it tell you about God? Okay, excellent. Excellent, JT. God is generous. Do you want to tell us why you're saying God's generous? Excellent. He gives us stuff for free. Finn, did I see your hand? No? Go ahead. What do you see? Um, he gives us stuff. Ah, and we can't live without him. Excellent. There's a verse that actually says that very clearly. All right. No other kids want to participate? That's fine. All right, ladies, you're next. Guys, we talk too much, which is good. Ladies, give me some answers. What, what would you learn about God. He is self-sufficient. Where do you see that? Um, he doesn't need our money. Uh-uh. Good. He doesn't need your money. He's self-sufficient. What else? He's or calling to us? Ah, good. He's call he calls to us. Yeah, excellent. He ah, he calls everyone. He wants us to listen. Ah. He wants us to listen. Why does he want us to listen? Okay, he wants us to listen so our soul will live. So what does that tell us about God? Not not that only does he want us to listen, but why does he want you to listen? So he can make you live. Which means he must know something or have something that I don't. All right, everybody, what, what else do you see about God? Um, my daughter said that she doesn't want to share. She said that he is able to make an everlasting covenant. Ah, so if he's able to do that, what do we say about him? He's Aha, he's everlasting. Good. He gives us the good stuff, not the bad stuff. Ah, good. okay. Good stuff. And if he gives us good stuff, that probably means that he's good. What kind of covenant does he make with us? It's not just everlasting, but it's what kind of covenant? Steadfast. What else? And what else? What is the the direct object of the... Sorry, I don't even know what that means. What what is that modifying, Alex? (laughs) The love. So we know that he's loving and that his loving is steadfast and his loving is sure. What else do we learn about God? He... Excellent. He understands that. And what are the questions that he asks tell us about his wisdom? Ah, he knows us. He's got the inside scoop. He can read your mind. Good. Anything else you guys see there? I think you got most of them that I had written down. Let's do this. Now take a minute. What does it tell you about man? If you knew nothing other than your own experience of yourself, and you weren't sure, even if you were evaluating yourself accurately, and you got this verse in a bottle, what would it tell you about people, about humans, about you? Take a minute. Talk to somebody around you. Write it down. What what does it teach you about people? People. All right, you guys got some thoughts? What, what does this teach you about people? What's that? We are misguided. Okay, he's t- attempting to redirect people. Finn? Say it again. Okay, we purchase things that don't satisfy us. We're very bad listeners. Good, we probably aren't very good listeners. We don't always understand what we need. Very good. We, need stuff. we do need stuff. And who's got the stuff we need? Yeah. God has the stuff we need. We're never seems like we're never satisfied. And there's a reason for that, and we'll, I'll preach that in a minute. Yeah. He has keep reminding us to come. Not just remind us to listen, but he's got to remind us even to come to him. Yeah. We're not there yet. But what does that tell us about us? Okay, we're seeking satisfaction. We're not self-sufficient. We're not at peace. We're not at peace. We're not listening. listening. (laughs) We love ourselves. ourselves. That might be reading into it a little bit. Where do you see that? (laughs) Okay, good, good, excellent. I see that. Good, good point. Our souls are dying which is why he tells us to come to him to live. What else, is it, what else do we know about people if God keeps saying, come to me, come to me, come to me? What do we have the ability to do? Huh? Well, yeah, wander. And what else? Yeah, we have the ability to move towards him, right? That, that's, we, we're so quick as Christians to point out all the negatives about us, which is good, but yeah, he gave, us, he gave us an ability to want to move towards him enough that he's not going to hold out, come to me, and then go, but you really can't do it. There, there seems to be something where he wants us to move towards him. Good. He must know that we have some ability to hear in some way or he wouldn't be talking to us. What else do we know about us from the end of verse 3? What is he making with us? What kind of covenant? So what does that tell us about us? Uh, We're everlasting. If if he's going to make an everlasting covenant with us, he must be everlasting, and therefore so must we, or that covenant wouldn't be everlasting. Which means you're going to live forever, somewhere, somehow. You didn't know that before the bottle rolled up on the beach, did you? (laughs) You thought you were just going to die, and that was going to be the end of it all. huh? Yeah, it's true. You wouldn't know because you'd never seen anybody die because you were alone on the island. Okay. I get it. You're grounded. Good. Anything else? I think you guys covered all of them. I think you got some that I had and more. So that's the beauty of us doing this together. All right. Now, can I preach? I want This is what you do. You, you do it. I just, I mean, tell how long it took to do this. It didn't take very long. And then you preach it to yourself. You, you remind yourself of what this says. You remind yourself of, okay, this is what I know is true about me. And here's what God says about himself. And you, you preach it. And when I preach it to myself, if I don't do it out loud, it doesn't stick and my mind starts to drift. So I often go for walks or I'm in my backyard. These, the horses are nearby from my neighbors. I'm talking to horses, telling them things that God is saying. <laughs> Which proves I'm insane. But here we go. So let me let me just preach this to you because I think there is some good soul help here and some really good application for our lives. So these are just big, big picture themes that we get out of our scripture memory this morning. I just gonna give you four of them. We're gonna move through them swiftly to get to application. But the first is this, we've already said it. God wants and invites you to come to him. He does. He really does. The repetition of the word come tells us that he really wants you to come to him. This isn't passive. This isn't like, well, if you feel like it, maybe I want you to, or if you do, okay. No, he is pleading with us. The living, eternal, all-wise, all-powerful king of the universe says, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. He wants you to draw near, and we see this everywhere in scripture. You go from Genesis to Revelation. What is God doing? He's revealing himself to people. He's drawing near to people. And he's inviting them to draw near to him. So that's like the heart of your God. That's, a, that's an attribute of God. He is pursuing you as you pursue him. And he loves it. When we interact with him, he, he wants us to draw near to him. So let me just Jesus this for a moment to show you how it's possible. The last time we met, we went back to Isaiah 53 to show how it's possible for sinners to draw near. Now we're going to look at Jesus' words. First, we're going to see what Jesus did in First Peter. Oh, I got that one here, don't I? Yeah. All right. So actually, I'm probably not going to write on it. Let's, let's just do this. So I love this verse. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? Why did Jesus die? That he might bring us to God. I had it in my notes. We don't have time. I wanted to go around the room and have everyone share all of the benefits we have from Jesus dying. What are all the things that we receive as blessings because of Jesus' death? It's a long list. It's not just Jesus died for my sins, although it is that. There's a long list of things in Scripture. This is a beautiful one. Jesus died. He suffered. The one who was righteous for the unrighteous. Let's make sure we're clear on this. Who is the righteous? And who's the unrighteous? Okay, so Jesus is dying for us for the purpose that you and I might be brought to God. That we would be brought near to God. And that's not just talking about one day when you die and go to heaven. It's today. Jesus dies to make the way for you to go confidently to God and to draw near to him. That is the reason that Christ died. Jesus makes it possible. Listen to this. For unrighteous you to come to righteous God. That's pretty cool. Jesus, the righteous one, suffered for the sins of unrighteous you in order to bring unrighteous you to righteous God. He did it for you. So you don't have to worry about trying to be righteous on your own anymore. And you can come to God and enjoy his presence. And Jesus does this eagerly and joyfully. He wants to bring the unrighteous To God. And Jesus said it this way in John 6. You guys know these verses because we studied this 12 years ago. It wasn't that long ago. Five years ago, whatever it was, when we were in John 6. Jesus said to them, listen to the echoes of Isaiah 55. Jesus probably knew Isaiah 55. That was a joke. He definitely knew Isaiah 55. And I'm sure he had this in his mind when he was saying this to the people I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me. So we have bread of life. He's the bread. Whoever comes to me, responds to the invitation, shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So you see the the parallels between here and Isaiah. And what I want you to see as you look at this is this. Just note, Jesus is the bread of life. We hunger. And when we come to him, there's no more hunger and there's no more thirst. He meets that for us. And I also want you to connect this dot. Because these are parallel statements. It's whoever comes to me, and then it's whoever believes in me. Do you see that up there? Those aren't two separate thoughts. Those aren't two separate acts. It's the same thing. Coming to him is believing in him. So if you're wondering, like, how do I come to Jesus? Well, it's believing that he is everyone he said he was, and he does everything he says he's going to do. It's believing in him. When we studied John, we know believing wasn't just head knowledge. Believing was loving and treasuring and savoring Christ. And when we do that, when we love him and savor him for who he is, it's a way that we believe and we come to him. So that's what Jesus' take is, I think, on the things here in Isaiah. So listen, especially younger peoples, if you don't take anything else away from this morning, know this, God wants you to go to him. God wants you to come to him. God wants you to draw near to him. The God of the universe who created everything wants you. He's pursuing you. He likes to hang out with you. Catch that. Believe that. Parents in this room, adults, we believe that. And we want you to believe that with us. Number two, second thing, is that God, and you guys said this when we studied it together a few minutes ago, God expects you and wants you to come to him broken and needy. He wants you to come to him broken and needy. Verse 1 tells us, he says, Come everyone who thirsts and he who has no money. So listen, for those of you that are perfectionists, especially, or overachievers, or perfectionate overachievers, God is not looking for successful, impressive, important, rich, athletic, beautiful people. He's not. He's looking for broken, thirsty And people who are in great need. That's who he's looking for. God does not want us to come to him to impress him some way. He wants us to come to him to be impressed by him. So know that. He is not looking for you to impress him. So we come to him not because we have something to offer him. We come to him because he has everything to offer us. He is not looking. When you guys said this, he's not looking for our money. He's not looking for us to do something or to bring something to the party. He already has it all. He just wants you. Broken, messed up, problems and all, habits, annoyances, all of it. He wants you to come to him. He's not looking for anything. So don't let, listen, don't let how you think about you determine if you come to God. Don't let how you feel about you, don't let how good you were or bad you were yesterday, determine whether you come to God. Don't let how much you read your Bible this past week or how well you did fighting sin or how patient you were or were not with your kids determine if you come to God. It's almost like he's a huge magnet and the more jacked up piece of metal you are, the more he's attracted to you. So bring your trash and go to God. He likes it. He loves to help us and to meet us and to care for us. And if you try to impress him, you never will because he already has everything and is completely satisfied. So come to him. Know this. So the first Peter verse told us the same thing. If you noticed it, it said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous not for the righteous, or the righteous for almost righteous, or the righteous for people who are close to being righteous, right? It says, no, he suffered once the righteous for the unrighteous. The ones who don't have the goods to bring to him, he brings to God. So that's really good news. So all he wants you to do is come to him thirsty. That's all he says. I want you to come to me, and I want you to come to me thirsty. So we're going to get thirsty for a minute. Take one, pass it. Huh? These are not good gifts? Huh? <laughs> All right, I want you to take one or two or three, and I want you to go ahead and, unless you're allergic, can you be allergic to a saltine cracker? (sighs) sorry, I should have thought of that. My bad. All right, so pop a couple in your mouth unless, I don't want you to, I don't want anybody to have an allergic reaction or something. into some soup too. That's all I can think of. I want a big bowl of chicken noodle soup, put the saltines in. All right, so pop them in your mouth. You already know what you're kind of experiencing. It's terrible. It's terrible. So people that are younger than 15, what, what do you feel right now? Dry? Murmur. Mur, mur. It's not fun, is it? I mean, to just eat saltines is horrid because your mouth just does that, right? It's caking up. Yeah, you can't do it. Except for those who have extra salivary glands. That's kind of creepy. But if you do, maybe you don't have a problem with this. I don't know. So, so this was primarily for kids, but we're all on the same page here. How many of you th- want to drink? I, want, I do watching you. I want to drink. So you, so you want something to drink. So right now there's a craving in your mouth. So here's what you got to hear. God could have created us as a closed unit, meaning just like blood is doing its own thing in our body and we don't have to drink blood every day to keep our blood going. He could have done that with water, right? You could have been that your body just makes more water within itself and you don't ever need to drink water and we're a closed thing and the water just keeps pumping through and you're fine, right? He could have. So why did he do it this way? Why did he decide to make humans with the need to drink water, the capacity to let their mouth go dry from eating too many saltines? Why did he do it so we would crave water? And I think the answer is clear as you read scripture. He's trying to use something physical and tangible to make a spiritual point. Does that make sense? He wants you to experience thirst in your mouth. And then he comes along and he says, listen, just like you're experiencing physical thirst right now, Your soul is thirsty the same way. You've got a thirst in your heart for something, for someone, for me. That's like what you're experiencing right now in the thirst that you're experiencing physically in your body. Does that make sense? There's other things like that, but that's one particular thing that God does. He wants to help us understand what it means to experience thirstiness. Now, does anybody need water? i got water bottles somewhere. Yeah, who, does anybody, I don't really want anybody, like, passing out, or I don't know. We're good? All right. Come in if you want. You can come get one. I'm not going to, I don't want to torture everybody. So, So that is, so that is a reality of how you were created. God created humans with thirst, physical thirst, and spiritual thirst. I'm sure the fall messed that up a little bit. But nevertheless, we still have thirst for God. Which leads us to the third thing I see in this passage for us is in this. God and only God can satisfy your hunger and your thirst. God and only God can satisfy your hunger and your thirst. Now I'm guessing no one in this room is like, Really? I didn't know that. I'm guessing. We all know this intellectually. We know this as a fact. We I want to talk about this. what does that mean to us experientially? So we, we, we know from these verses that God made your soul thirsty so that he could give you his water to drink, his life to give you what you need. He, he's the milk in this meaning he has everything you need to grow. He's the bread, meaning he has what you need to be satisfied. He's the wine, meaning he has everything you need to find joy in him. And he's our life, right? The, the verse says, incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. So he, he offers us life. And that's what we saw. Right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's there to give us life. It's almost like, it's almost like God said, I am the greatest Most amazing, breathtakingly beautiful, satisfying thing in the universe. So I'm going to make humans crave something amazing, breathtakingly beautiful, and satisfying. So they'll come to me to be satisfied. Does that make sense? That's what he did in creating people. He wants us to recognize that we have a deep soul thirst. So we will come to him. And these cravings are good and they're right. It's almost like God is waving his arms in in these verses. Yoo-hoo! I know you're hungry. I know you're thirsty. Why don't you come over here? Why don't you come to me? He's literally standing in our way in these verses, trying to get our attention so that we'll come to him to get what it is that our soul really needs. So I'm just joining Isaiah, I guess, and God and telling us, go to him to get what you need. So all of this works perfectly, doesn't it? You were created with a hunger and thirst that only God can satisfy. God has the ability to satisfy him, and he tells you to come to him. It's perfect. It's almost as if God... Let's analogize it for a moment. Imagine if God created all of you to crave pizza, and only pizza will satisfy you. So what does God do? God creates a universe, an earth, that revolves around... Pizza. He opens pizza joints all over the earth. He has a Bible that tells us how great pizza is, poems about pizza, songs about pizza, people who experienced enjoyment they had from eating pizza, the tragedy of the people who didn't eat pizza. He might even make the air in the fall breeze smell like pizza. Maybe pizza samples hanging on some of the trees. He's going to do whatever he can to make sure that you get satisfied with pizza because he created you to want pizza by making pizza kind of a main theme on the earth to get your attention so you'll come to him because he actually has all the best and biggest pizza within him. That's the picture. That's that's the symbol of what God is doing. He created you to crave him, and then he creates a universe that smells like God, looks like God, tastes like God, sounds like God, so that you'll come to him to find the satisfaction for your soul that he created you to find in him. That's it. He sets up the entire thing. I'm going to make you crave God, and then I'm going to give you God. I'm going to make it so you want me more than anything else, and then I'm going to say, come to me and get everything you want. I mean, it's the perfect scenario. It would almost be like if you were homeless or if I were homeless and someone came and said, here's some keys. These are keys to a house. The house is paid for. All the taxes in the future will be paid for. All the maintenance in the future is already paid for. I'm going to have somebody mow your lawn. They're going to do all the landscaping. They're going to take care of mowing the grass. Your fridge is full. All you have to do is call this number and more food comes to your house, whatever you want, whenever you want it. Also on this key ring is a key to a brand new car. It's completely paid for. It's insured. There's a credit card in the glove box for any repairs, all the gas, everything you need. Come and get the keys. Now, I don't think I have to preach to someone. Come on. Come on. Come get the keys. You want to stay homeless? Come on. I got the keys for the house and the car, and it's all yours for free. You, You don't need to preach to someone to convince them to come and take the keys. Unless, unless it is possible for that person to be so blind that they are tricked into thinking it's better to live on the street in a cardboard box eating garbage. And if they're tricked into thinking that, they won't come get the keys. I have a hunch that God thinks we can be tricked into believing that there are other things that will satisfy us rather than him. And so he warns us and tells us to come take the keys over and over and over again because maybe he thinks it's possible that you and I could be tricked. I think that's the problem that he sees. He, he forms it in a question here. This is kind of point number four. God wants to expose the trickery of the enemy, the world, and your flesh. They're tricky. He says, why? He brings it in the form of a question. Do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? You guys nailed this when we did that little discussion time. We go and do stuff that doesn't make sense. These questions are meant to help expose how easily we are tricked. And we don't know we're being tricked. I mean, th- here's a step we should take right now just together. Do you believe it's possible that there are ways you are being tricked that you are not aware of right now? I mean, if, we, if we're like, well, no, yeah, I, I think, I think there are. And I think that's why God wants to get our attention to help us to see ways that we might be tricked. I think our flesh works against us. We have an enemy, Satan, who works against us. The world is working against us. And what they want to do is give us just enough bread, just enough wine, just enough milk to keep us feeling and seeing and not really recognizing our need for more water or milk or wine. And I love what he says here. The bread is not even bread. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? It's almost like you look at it. It looks like bread, smells like bread, Tastes like bread, but at the end it's not bread at all. That's what he says. I don't know if some of you guys that are girls that are my age, you remember when every person's house you went to would have a bowl of rubber fruit? (laughs) I remember being a kid, and like there's the bowl of fruit, it's got the grapes, the apples, the bananas, and they look real. And when you go to take one, you obviously realize it's not real, right? You go, oh man, this thing's fake. These are fake grapes. But they sure look like grapes. So the same is true for apples, right? I don't know if you guys want to guess which one's the real one and which one's the fake one. This one's real? This one's real? You're wrong. I switched them and said you were wrong because you were right. So there are times in our lives, even though this didn't fool you very much, that we can't tell the difference between the real thing and the fake. We can be tricked into thinking that something is real when it's not. It's pretend. And I've not tried to bite this, and I'm not going to try to bite this, but I imagine it would not be a very fun experience because it's not real. But the world, listen, the world wants to convince us that they're the same or that this one is actually a little better because you can have it right now and you don't have to wait and it's more tangible. And so there's this war going on inside of your soul. The enemy wants to promote it. The world wants to promote it to trick you into thinking that something fake is actually something that is real. So it makes me wonder if God is saying that we're eating bread that isn't even bread. It makes me wonder how often am I eating plastic bread? How often? How often? How often do I eat wax fruit or drink milk that's not milk or bad water thinking it's good? How often does that happen in my life? So I'm going to now get down into the nitty-gritty. I brought my trickery bag. So these are examples and samples of ways that the world, the enemy... And your flesh can be tricked into thinking something will satisfy that it won't. And it won't satisfy. And so I'm going to go through these. There's a bunch of them. And all I want you to do is think for a moment if any of these are relevant to you and to your life. So Jesus says, and it says in Isaiah 55, that we should come to him for life. He says, come to me and live. Now what you need to know is everything in here, if you listen... It's whispering the same thing. It's whispering. Come to me and live. They're all saying that. Come to me and live. And the problem is we hear it and we think, oh, okay. It's saying come to me and live. So maybe there's something here that is worth living for. And then instead of giving our thirst to God, we move our thirst towards other things that are whispering to us that they will satisfy. So maybe for some of us it's money. We, we, th- we think about money all the time, money. And, and if you listen, it's, come to me and live. It's speaking to us. It, it, it's telling us that this is where life will be found. You got more of this, you got more life. When you get less of this, you don't have as much life. So you need more. And it whispers to us. Perhaps it's success. I've got the first place. I'm number one. I succeeded. I did the best of everybody. And what drove you? Because it was whispering the whole time. You're the best. You're number one. You've got life. It's trying to convince you. That's where life lies. you got to be number one. Successful. Stand out from the crowd, and then you will find life. Perhaps it's clothing. You need more flannel. (laughs) It's amazing how I can need no more flannel, but when the Duluth magazine comes, I suddenly need more flannel. The Duluth magazine is whispering. Come to me. You find life. And I know we laugh at that. But what's really happening deep in my heart that I don't see because I'm being tricked is that now my mind and my soul is preoccupied with the latest flannel pattern. And we should laugh because it's ridiculous. But it's true. It's true. It could be sports playing sports watching sports espn sports good grief we can drown in sports in our culture what does it say come to me and live did you miss the game yesterday you're not alive you better catch the next game because life is in in football life is in sports you don't want to miss out on it it could be movies chitty chitty bang bang of course You've got to have the next movie. You've got to watch the next movie. You've got to make sure the movie that comes out, you see it on the day it comes out. Everything in life is about coming to live because movies make me alive. So we watch movies. For some, it's Jim Bean. If you've got enough alcohol, it'll help you to feel like you're alive and you'll live. Some people, it's exercise. If I just exercise enough, I'm just in good enough shape. If I look good, come and live. People who really are in shape, they live. People who aren't in shape, they really don't live as much. So you want to live. So you better keep exercising. It could be your 403 Roth retirement fund. Come to me and live. Don't you want to have money when you retire? You better put more in here. This is life. Retirement's life. Savings is life. Get more money. It could be the latest diet. Anybody recognize her? If I have the right food, if I eat the right stuff, come to me and live. Buy all my stuff so you can find life. It could be vacations. Got the latest Disney brochure. If you've ever been there, you know you do not find life at Disney World. <laughs> it's utter torture. But we forget, and then we see the advertisement and go, actually, was it, wasn't it better than I remember? Because it's whispering, come to me for life. You need more vacations. If you're really going to live, you've got to see the world. You need more vacations in order to find life. Or it could be on an iPad or a tablet, right? Entertainment, social media. It's endless what I can find on here. And it's all whispering, life, come to me to find life. And how often do we buy into it? See, we laugh, and it's just good for us to think for a moment where do you go when you feel thirst in your soul? Where do you go? What do you do with that thirst? Where do you run? What is your reaction? How do you process it? So I share these with us to help us be thinking practically about our lives. And there's I don't, Maybe I didn't even touch on anything that you're thinking right now. But there's things that happen that reveals that there's a hunger and a thirst for us. Can I talk to parents for a moment? Parents, what do you, what do we tell our kids or give them when they're restless and not satisfied? I know that never happens with a child. <laughs> but when they're restless and unsatisfied, do we throw an iPad at them? Or tell them to turn on a movie? Or do we keep them so busy in life that they don't have a chance to ask for something to do and find out that they're unsatisfied? I just remember an aha moment I had when our kids were, I don't know, I think they were between 5 and 13, like that age range, and they would ask on a regular basis, like, so what are we going to do? What are we doing? What's happening? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What's going on? And I remember always feeling this dad pressure, like, I better come up with something amazing. And then I realized one day, wait a minute, it's not my job to keep my kids satisfied. It's God's job to keep my kids satisfied. This craving they have is a hunger that God put in them for God. And I'm actually doing them a disservice if I keep giving them things to fill their hunger because I'm not teaching them how to go to God with their hunger. So I just wonder if parents, what if we didn't keep our kids super busy or allowed them to have time to experience thirst so we can say, oh, you know what you want right now? You actually want God. That's what this craving to do something is, or to, to do more. So maybe instead of handing them a tablet or an iPad or putting on a movie or telling them to go play with a neighbor, what if we tried to help them learn what it means to go to God to find their th- soul's thirst? Now, obviously, this has to do with like, the ages of your kids and what they're like. But I think there are age-appropriate ways for us to help our kids, even when they're little, to train them and not having to have something to satisfy that craving to do something or to have something and instead being able to point them to God, whether that's giving them paper and crayons and talking about something about God and letting them draw or write a letter to God or make up a song to God or take a walk and go in the backyard and look for things that make you wow about creation and help them connect that to God. I just wonder if we did a little less and when our kids are bored, we told them to go to God. We trained them in how to go to God, how that would impact their lives. And maybe some of you are already doing this. But I know I wasn't, and some we're able to figure out that this craving is actually a God craving. And if I keep stuffing it with an iPad or with whatever, they're never going to learn how to go to God. And then I realized that my hesitancy to do this is probably because I don't really believe that God can satisfy their craving. And that's where things get really sticky Because if his parents, we really believe, no, Jesus is life and he can satisfy. Then when our kids want something to do, where are we going to point them? To the one who can satisfy. Which takes a lot of hard work and training. But I believe that's part of this passage is God saying, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. Here, listen, listen here. Because sometimes I think my head gets clogged up with the world's way of doing things. One more, one more story, and then we'll quit. So over the past 10 years or so, I've noticed something. Maybe people my age and maybe around my age have noticed this. But there's something that everybody in, like, the next younger generation than me carries around with them everywhere. Do you know what it is? How many of you guys have a, have a water flask with you today of some kind? So, okay, so... Here's, what, here's the bad thing. I'm going to use a good example to make a bad illustration where I'm going to use something positive and you actually twist it for negative, okay? So bear with me. You never do this when you preach, they tell you, so I'm doing it anyway. So we, we have a water bottle with us all the time. So the moment that you feel thirsty or pre-thirst, what do you do? You drink. We even pre-hydrate before we go places just make sure that we don't pass out on the way or whatever. So we, we have this with us all the time. Now, when I was a kid, I love these stories, when I was a kid, When you were thirsty, you went and found a water fountain, and the water tasted like metal. (laughs) It's like (laughs) sucking on a copper pipe. And then if you didn't find water, you just had to wait until you got home. Like, it wasn't like you had your water flask and stuff like that, right? So nowadays, it's like you walk into any business establishment, and the first thing they do is go, can I get you a bottle of water, right? I mean, that's what they do immediately. So we don't really know thirst. Does that make sense? The moment there's any slight, I think I might be thirsty a little bit, we immediately take a drink. And we have it available to us all the time. So that's a good thing, but here here I'm going to parallel it to try to make a negative point. Because there's something else that we all carry with us all the time. And somebody already said it. It's our phones. Now, I'm not going to go on a old man, phone rant. (laughs) But I want you to connect the dot for a moment. I've got my water flask. The moment I feel any sense of thirst, what do I do? Take a drink. I have a feeling that any time your soul feels the slightest thirst, we grab our phones. And can I tell you why? It's because in this phone, I can find something that has to do with every one of these things in my trickery basket. They're all there. Diet, exercise, sports, banking, is in here. I can watch movies. I can do social media. It is unlimited what I can do. And so in essence, this has replaced all of these things, or at least supplements all of these things. So here's the challenge. I think we feel our thirst all the time, but the second we do, we take a drink. So another old man story. So this past month, I had a chance to walk the halls, the very same halls of Liberty University where Elspeth and I went to college that we walked 30 years ago or more than that. And I should have taken a picture, but I didn't. So it's the same hallway. There's obviously been upgrade, updated, and there's, you know, benches, all these places that we used to hang out with all of our friends and do stuff. As I walked through there from one end to the other, and it was a long walk, every single college student was either on their phone or on their computer. All of them. I honestly saw one time, I stood there and watched, somebody came by and was like, hey man, how's it going? And they tapped the person on the shoulder and they kept right on going. So the halls, that used to be filled with relationships. And, now I'm not saying some of these kids could have been praying for each, like ah, I'm not going to judge what they were doing on their computers or their phones. The point is it's, it's instant satisfaction It is often fake fruit. It's bread that's not bread. So I talked to a teacher this past week who teaches in the high school. He's taught for 30 or 40 years in the high school. And he said, in the last 15 years, I've gone from being a teacher to a counselor because there's no time to teach physics anymore because the kids need so much help. And he began to share some of the reasons why the kids need help which are very much linked to the second their soul thinks they need something, they go to their phone. They have instant access. There's no thinking and processing of life. They're trying to find satisfaction in other ways. Now, of course, my generation did the same thing. It was just a little harder to do. We did the same stuff. The human heart's going to do this no matter what. The point that I'm trying to make is that we would take time to recognize Where do we go the moment we feel any type of thirst? When you're alone with others and there's that moment that can be filled with anything, for that split second, you feel thirst. You feel it. And the question is then, where do you go with your thirst? What is your impulse? Where do you go? Do you know what it means to come to God? To go to God? Do you know when you're being tricked? All of us are being tricked in different ways at different times. Do you know where you're being tricked? Do you know where you're eating rubber fruit? Do you know where your kids eat rubber fruit? And are we willing to figure that out, make whatever changes we do so we can find our souls actually satisfied and alive and living with God? Does that make sense? So we got to work on this together. Like this is, this is conversations because here's the reality. I'm being tricked, so I don't know where I'm being tricked. I know the people that say, hey, Matt, I think maybe based on my interaction with you, I think this could be where you're being tricked. We need spouses to tell us that. We need kids to tell us that. We need parents to tell us that. We need groups of three to tell us that. Where do we think we're being tricked? Because you don't want to be tricked. Rubber fruit sucks. You want the real thing. So let's help each other to not be tricked, that we'd come to God, that everyone who thirsts would come to him, that we wouldn't spend our money and labor on stuff that doesn't satisfy. Instead, we'd pursue our God. Lots of application here this week. Lots of application. And I'm just going to pray for us, and then we're going to go because it's really late. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for my friends in this room. God, I know I need your help because I don't want to be tricked. I want to come to you because you've got everything my heart needs, and I don't always know how. And other things get in the way and trick me into thinking that, that they will take care of my, my cravings when only you can. And so help us to help each other to see where that's happening in our lives so that we can turn to you. Help us as parents to know how to take our kids when they're, when they're not satisfied and squirming and want, want things to be able to know how to take them to you, to show them that their thirst is for you and to, to learn how to guide them to you, God. Help us, I pray. May, may as we memorize these verses these next couple weeks, may they sink deep into our hearts expose the things in our lives that you want to expose and then show us your glory and your goodness and what it means to come and eat and drink from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm done. I think we're dismissed. Dismissed. Let's stand. Put your hand over your heart. Say.